let's run it back for anyone. Let's get a summary without the cat. We're doing a music episode. We're doing a music episode about about um, what kind of music? About all kinds. But Bob has offered to make an episode about my music. I make some music kind of privately to myself. I mean, I put it out there, which is dope. He surprised me with that. And you told me a really interesting story, actually, on the ride here. I did. It was about the Wrecking Crew. The mm -hmm. Wrecking Crew was a group of studio musicians. They were all trained in classical music and jazz. They worked mainly for Capitol Records, but they also worked for Phil Spector. They worked for Brian Wilson. They worked for everybody. everybody. And again, my life is a lie moment. They are credited with being the musicians on 140 to 160 top 40 singles between the late 1950s and the mid-1970s. Think about that for a minute. Think about how many bands that is. I'll start rolling some off. Sonny and Cher, The Monkees, Mamas and the Papas. They worked. They didn't write, but they worked with the Beach Boys on Pet Sounds. One of the most monumental, influential yes. albums of all time. They worked with Phil Spector, and that means that they worked with the end of the era Beatles, like and White Album Beatles and stuff like that. And the that. famous wall of sound that he was known for producing yes. with. They were the band that played the Birds cover of Mr. Tambourine Man of Bob Dylan. And, that's and the that one is the one here. where I'm like, oh, my life is a lie. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Campbell was a member of the Wrecking Crew, and then he went out on his own. Uh, they worked with Captain and Tennille. They, I mean, and they worked with Ronnie and the Ronettes. So they didn't just work with like rock artists. They worked across genres. And and what's interesting too, you say 150 plus hits. Realistically, that's going to be with a hundred bands or more, right? Like, yeah, they used to do 15 hour days in Capitol Records. You know that iconic like cylinder building in in Hollywood. And that's where that's and they were they were that building has like 15 studios. Just zigzagging. And basically, they do 15 hour days and they do this many hours working for this artist. Then they go somewhere else work for another artist. And by the end of the year, they would have done hundreds, if not thousands, of songs. And for studio musicians, they were very well compensated during their time. They were probably making more money than the bands themselves. Yeah, studio musicians, when you can put down fire and you can be consistent, it's money. Yeah, and the biggest crime is that of the 15 members of the Wrecking Crew, not counting Glenn Campbell, he had a very successful he solo career. Two, only two members are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's so tragic. Like In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as studio musicians. Yeah. So it's like, why aren't all 15? And here's the thing. You would think that in some way or another they could have been kind of accredited as that group like mm -hmm. that's an unofficial name like they they refer to themselves as like the unit or they they had like yeah, unofficial yeah. names but, but that's like the matrix writing team. in the business they they became known as the wrecking crew. it's easier to have a branded name than to name you each yep. individually but what it told me too it's interesting when you had told me it's sort of like peeling back the curtain on oz pay oh. no attention to the man behind the curtain yeah in other words the bands are the big green head and Oz behind the curtain is is the wrecking crew. I, and and this is my frustration. And I know this group went out solo. I get that. But that's essentially what the band did. Yeah. And the band just they just went out and started recording their own music. If you ever watched uh The Last Waltz by Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Did you know? Yeah. And that's basically was their farewell tour in the late 70s. Yeah, okay. Where all the artists they worked with came out and did, did songs know. with them. Okay. Like like Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan. And Van Morrison, these are this are people that, and we're talking about the band now. We're not talking about the Wrecking Crew. But anyway, the reason that they wound down in the mid '70s is because there was a movement towards singer-songwriters who wanted more control of their own music. And I know stereotypically, like I said, um, James Taylor. Yes, yeah, James, like people like James Taylor, people like Henry Henry Chapin, Jim, Chapin, yeah, Chapin, Jim Croce, Jim like Croce, pe yeah. people like that, John Denver, who did in the early parts of his career have the wrecking crew as a backing band but anyway these people they wanted more of that control they wanted to produce their records they wanted to write all the songs and they wanted some control over that for a 15 group goes out the window yeah so anyway that led into 
in my opinion, a natural progression in the 1980s, a lot of independent artists that the major re record label said, fuck you two. And it's also, you know, once there becomes a point when they've done so well that they're going to cost way more too, yeah. just based on their talent. So I think it got to a point when studios were like, listen, we're making a different sound now. We're going for something different. We don't need 15 heads to write a pop song. We can do it with three. Anyway, what did the indie bands in the 80s do? They created fanzines. They created their own record labels. They built they, a movement. They built a movement. And we talked about that in a previous episode. But what you were talking about was when we get to modern times with technology and like, for example, we have SoundCloud. Mm. We had MySpace. MySpace was used for music Huge. and it was wonderful. And Facebook and YouTube. We have all these avenues mm -hmm. and we have all this technology that is available to people to write their own music. And yet, why isn't there like a plethora of music that's like, at least on the mainstream, that's like that quality. pushed. Yeah. So why, in my opinion, why I'm like, hey, Rem, let's play your music. Because Rem writes it, he said, like you said, very personal music, just technically pretty much for himself. It's very cathartic. Yeah. 100%. But he does put it out on SoundCloud. Which is, you know, and let's just start with that. I gave Bob my SoundCloud to have the music so we could potentially talk about it at some point. But also, like, I don't like telling people I have a SoundCloud. Because there is a certain image that goes along with SoundCloud people with, what? like, just cockboy rappers. All those cockboy rappers in, like, yeah. 14, 2014, 2015, 2016 respond oh, on that oh, site. Oh, oh, wait, 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 I'll do it. Ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, I just wrote a hit single. Rainbow yeah. braids, fucking yeah. big old teeth, face tattoos. And, and a lot of people associate SoundCloud, I think, like, it's hip-hop. I would say maybe two, yes no. two of my songs on here might be, are, are hip-hop maybe, you know, or rap or whatever the fuck you'd call them. But for me, I can feel trapped in myself, man, if I'm not drawing, writing, painting. And it, it sounds cliche, but I've had these songs in me for so fucking long and just certain songs right. just in different fucking forms. And it was like, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago, I was like, you know, I'm going to take a bunch of hallucinogens and record all these songs. You heard it first right there. What is the inspiration for Remy? Well, for yeah. me, I needed to get it out. And I also know that, like, you know, my dad got Alzheimer's and didn't remember shit at the end. And I'm getting older. So it's like I wanted to have this stuff recorded. I wanted to have it down. And also, like, on some real shit, I think I recorded, if I did 20 CDs with about 15 tracks each. Um, that was before you realized you didn't want to pay twelve fifty for a month for, uh, <laughs> yeah, for the unlimited. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. I still have it, but I'm not. I, I share like fifteen songs on there. I rotate yeah. them. You know what I mean? But I realized it was more for me. And a big part of that too, people have to realize is I don't listen back to the two hundred hours or twenty hours, whatever the fuck it is, music, and like it all. And I think that that's another thing that's really interesting because I listen to some of it. I'm like, this is fucking garbage. One is named Remy. This is Remy. The other, Bobby Rocks. Bobby Rocks here. Together, they take you on weekly journeys of life from the point of view of Xennials, or people born in the late 1970s to mid-1980s. Their aim is to give a voice to the voiceless. It's the Xennial Odyssey Podcast. Welcome to the Odyssey. So why don't you uh, pull it up and I'll just give us all the rundown. So basically what we're going to do is we are going to use his songs as like separators of segments. We're going to play a song. We're going to talk about it. That'll be the segment. The next song will come in. That'll separate the segments. We'll talk about that. We'll do that a few times. So do you want to give everyone the title? Yeah, this is Boombox. Sort of Beastie Boys, Fatboy Slim inspired. All right. 
Well, Rem's going to hit play, and we are going to listen to Boombox Let's by Remy it. Carrero. Scratching, dude. Right, so that was Boombox by our own Remy Carrero right here. I made a song. What was your inspiration 
for that song. Take us through it. First shot, straight up. You called it one second ago. It, Beastie Boys. Check like, your head, right? Check your head, yeah. era Beastie Boys. Basically a hip-hop record made for skaters. Hip-hop, skater jam, um, a party song, not a fight song. That's fucking not, not aggressive at all, but just... Like, and the evolution of the song from just, you know, Never Leave Home Without My... I thought Never Leave Home Without My Fucking Boombox was a really cool hook. I thought it was catchy. Harkens back to LL Cool J, but that keeps yeah. with the BC Boys because Brooklyn. they worked with Rick, Rick Rubin, yeah. Brooklyn, Def Jam. 100% yep. influenced by that. And I liked, you know, I really liked the 90s song. Like, I want to praise you like I should. I liked songs. I have no issue with repeating the hook if you keep adding a little to it. If it's a fire song. And I, I told you, could I have put four long rap verses in that? Yeah. Did that song need that? No. I laid some tracks on it like that. And I'm like, no, this is like a dance song. Background music, background to a movie scene. That's Mo montage. Yeah. Montage music. Um, to be 100% honest with you, the reason it's the length it is and as hook-filled as it is, I thought that if any song was easily licensable, sellable cheap to a TV show, a movie, a YouTube channel, it would be that. That would play great over surfing scenes, breakdancing scenes, graffiti scenes, uh, house party scenes. So I, I approach it from a couple different angles, and I'll be honest, too. Like the another funny story about that, I played it for my ex, who I despise now. Most of them I like, but this particular ex I despise. And when the song ended, she's like, what does I did it dirty this time mean? Like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I did it dirty. Like, I just, it's, it's a dirty track. I remember having to explain that to her immediately made her so much less attractive. Like, I farted. What the fuck do you think it means? I did it dirty this time. But What's dirty? It was just like, shut the fuck up. You make everything difficult. And at the end, too, with like, the hell yeah, there's a little Limp biscuit in there. A tiny little bit. I'll admit it. My favorite part of that song, though, and if you if you watch the video, you'll see that I can't help it, is that that big, chunky bass line. That was actually the backbone for the whole song. I came up with the bass line, and I was like, oh. So just layered it like an onion. For anyone else who hears it, maybe you think it like me, maybe you don't, I don't know. I mean, you definitely hear the lo-fi influence. And uh, when Remy and I were driving up here, I was breaking down the differences, like the, the different spectrum of lo-fi music. Like on one end, you have like what Rem's doing, where it's literally like, I want that sound like I couldn't afford all this stuff. No, I had, I had, a, I had a limited amount of time in the studio and I gave all my money and they, they didn't give me all the, all the access to the studio, but they said, you got like 10 minutes fucking go nuts. But then on the other end, you have like what my brother does with lo-fi music where he creates folk music. That's very influenced by like Bon Iver and iron and wine. Yeah. I deliberately mm. definitely go analog, definitely go lo-fi because everything you hear guys, like that's the other thing is I'm making all this stuff on instruments. I'm not doing it on a computer. If you're hearing a bass line, I'm playing a bass. If you hear guitar, I'm playing a guitar. If you hear a keyboard, I'm playing the keyboard. The only thing I have to use a machine for is I have an old school drum machine because I can't have a drum set in my apartment. So you're hearing someone making the music instrument by instrument. So it's important to me that it, you know, I want it to be like found footage music. You know what I mean? Like the Blair Witch of music. I want it to sound like it's a dude at 2 a.m. in a bedroom. Because that's what it is. Yeah, I think that's good. I definitely hear the, the check your head vibe. The be obviously the beast. I mean, you're, you're white. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you, I definitely did it on purpose. You hear the, you hear the white influence, but it, at the same time, I like I like that. I like I I would put that on in the background if I was. I would say editing this podcast episode, but that would kind of defeat the purpose yeah. if I have multiple fucking yeah, you don't things need going, too much, Remy, going on at once. We may hear something, but don't worry. I'm just trying to get rid of this ad. Yeah. No worry, dude. But um, yeah. And for me, one of the things about the music you're gonna hear today is. I don't have a sound. 
I mean, I do, I do. And, and Bob said, lo-fi, it's intimate, it's kind But you of, also hear the influence in all of the music that you're writing. Yeah, and it's important to me that I write or I try to record in as many different genres as I could because I think that's where musicianship comes from. I think rock bands just making rock, I get it, but that's your fucking, that's your safe space. Yeah. So, you know, I've made some hip-hop, i made some dance, I'm this, you know, a folky song we'll play in a bit. I was going to say, why don't we go right to uh, what I would consider a pop song? Um, what? Falling in Like. He likes this well, one. I love this one. You know, I love, you, know you know why I love it? Because most people would say Falling in Love. Falling in Love is an overall theme that you hear. Funny. But anyway, but it's Falling in Like. Can I give it a funny aside real quick? Sure. I kind of hate this song. Why is that? Well, should we? Should we? No, let's play it. We'll talk afterward. Okay. But so right. no, but it makes me happy that you like it and people are responsive. To All it. right, so we're gonna play it. It's called "Falling in Like." Again, another song by Remy Carrero. Thank you. 
twist This girl doesn't exist Story has a twist, y'all This girl doesn't exist, y'all My song had a twist My queen don't exist should have the right to do that no that was good i don't know so how before we we went to the song you said that you you don't like this song i liked it more okay this time for All like right. getting a vibe a little bit and i think some things about my song is you do you gotta write them out i think i play them well and like when to come in and when to come out but no i like it okay reasons i didn't like it yeah it's so fucking safe and corny and i did that on purpose with that i wanted to write a love song like i said at the end but to me it's really like even the voice like Girl, you're so brave and so sexy. And um, I told Bob while we were listening to it, if you guys know 90s boys to men songs would always have breakdowns in the middle, and the and the deep voice guy would be like, Yeah, girl, every time you walk out my door, my heart breaks. The way I interpret that yeah. is that it's a pop song making fun of pop songs. That and that's in the title. And then I mean that's you're gonna have me hooked. <laughs> regardless because of that no and you got to keep in mind too this is my first official listen through on a lot of this stuff in a while when you messaged me about it i was like oh fuck my music you saw my reaction when i saw that one of the songs had twenty five thousand. i was genuinely surprised today yep. i was looking at my account in his kitchen i hadn't looked at it in minutes and i'm like 25k on this song not that song another song so um but no it, it has its place and i think it's really it's like a perfectly mild candle burning and so it is like a boys to men video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think in that that is an interesting example for a follow because Bob chose that. I think that that lends itself well to the first song in the sense that that could be playing in the background and no one would be offended. For me, I'm gonna say in my what I take away my interpretation Please do. Please of do. that big difference there. He's staying with the '90s. He still got the lo-fi. Rem still has the lo-fi going on, but he's staying with the '90s. He just switched which end of the decade he was on. Ooh. You know, because when you talked about the scratching and how there's going to be a lot of scratching in it, I immediately thought like, okay, this is a this is like an Incubus song. Yeah, this has Incubus vibes with the acoustic with the scratching behind it. Oh go, shit, going on. Good call. I'd but on I top had... of that, it was very punk rock because it was a pop song meant to make fun of pop songs. Yeah, and just the fact that there's no love in the song that's deliberate. She it's doesn't like, exist, as no? you said. Had to, because I told Bob the reason I say that at the end of the song is because I didn't want one of my exes or girl I was like dating to think it was about them. I didn't want any girl to be like, I know that's about like me. So at the end of the song, I'm like, no. You wanted to avoid the basic bitches. Yeah, it's not about, it's not about any of you. It's me thinking of an ideal girl that doesn't fucking exist. But so no, it's fun. And I think those two are in fun opposition. Can we go fully dark? Yes, but can we do the pact? <sighs> I love the pact. I mean, not just that's why, because that's probably to me, I was like, listen to that going, all right. All right so you want to do that one or do you want to do the school shooting one first? No, no, we can we can end the game with the shooter or something a little softer, okay. but I, the Pact might be the song I'm most proud of in the sense of the melodies, the composition on the guitar. All right, so we're going to listen to Remy's next song, a Remy Carrero exclusive, The Pact.
that was uh oh no what happened to remy i'm here i'm here okay you got you were so taken aback by your own song yeah that okay the pact is different man and I don't know how to explain it, but every time I listen to it, it's like listening to a song that I didn't record. May I try to uh, do my interpretation of it? I would love it? you to. Okay, so here's what I hear going on in it. You have somewhat, you're at your foundation, you have left the 90s and you've gone to Master of Reality era Black so, Sabbath. Yes. For anyone who doesn't know, Masters of Reality, arguably the, the heaviest album that Black Sabbath ever did, and the second to last song, Solitude. Bro. comes out of nowhere and it's very beautiful and it's acoustic and it doesn't even sound like is that ozzy singing because no. it does not sound like no, ozzy's it's, voice no it's the one time yeah. the, the guitarist sang the song and it sounds very like medieval folky and middle eastern yep. yeah my name it means nothing my fortune is less and then there's fucking a, like a fucking flute yeah and you're like i just got pulverized for like six songs what I'm like, this is great, but what the fuck is this? So that's my first thought. I also know, because I know Rem loves Radiohead, I definitely hear like Tom York's pained tone yeah. in the singing. The other things I take away, this is what makes the song compelling to me. It's very nursery rhyme-ish. Yes. So it sounds very like young. That makes me think young. It makes me think youth. But we're talking about people taking turns fucking putting bullets in their head. Yes. So what is the what was the inspiration for that? Something weird happens to me when I play music sometimes. And I'm not, I know people have talked about this, but it is real. I've had that guitar for 25 plus years and written every song I've ever written on the same guitar. And that day, that song just happened. But I picked up my guitar and I'd come up with the guitar that you heard in that. And I was just playing it. It, it sounds a lot more complex than it is, at least for me, in the sense that like I know an easy, easy way to play that. There's but been I'm, a build here to the songs we've had. There's literally like layering builds. Like, yeah, no, and this yeah. one was... I didn't know what I was going to sing. I, I fucking sometimes just start singing. When I was doing the song in my bedroom at the time, it started with Jen was walking in the forest. And I, like, I knew that. And I was like, why? And my brain just poured out the story, not as tightly as it is in the final song, but it was like, holy shit, this is three girls and a guy going out into the woods. Every one of these girls has dated this guy. And the relationship haven't worked out, but they all, all three of the girls like adore him. And he's all fucked up, let's say, okay? Mm -hmm. And they have a suicide pact. If they're not all like, if he isn't married or has children or whatever, if they're not whatever, by 16 years old, they're gonna go into the woods and take their lives. So they go in the woods, and the first verse is the first girl, second verse is the second girl, third verse is the third girl, but you have to pay attention because she misfires, and I say that. So that's a lost bullet. And so when it comes up to his, his turn, there's no bullets in the gun. And it's almost, you know, you can take away from the song that, like, was he ever going to do it? Like, was he going to do it? That's a that's a good way to put it. I mean, did he? Because at the end, if you're the last person in a suicide pack, you don't have to, I hate to say that, it's awful, but no one's going to know. Mm. No one's going to know if you don't. Do you know what I thought of? What's that? I thought of the interview you did with the survivor of Heaven's Gate. Oh, good call. Yeah. Man. That probably influenced the song yeah. more than I think, too. And also because, is it fair to say, I mean, they were not in the conventional sense, but they were a religious yeah. kind of group. And I say non-conventional because, why am I blanking on the star fucking thing? L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, Nexium? No, oh, no, 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 I'm Scientology. It's very, it's like Scientology's religious, but it's different. Mm -hmm. uh, Heaven's Gate, along that line. And the, to me, because I hear that, not just because I hear nursery rhyme, but I also hear like, to me, it sounds like Gregorian chanting. Yeah, and it's meant to sound like autumn feels, and it's meant to feel like oh you're you're with them in the forest 100 mm -hmm. leaves falling leaves falling it's all there you know her blood on the dirty leaves like there are visuals in there 
And it's one of those songs that every time I listen to, I see it. I think it would make a great short story. Regardless, you don't need it to be a song. Great intro song and outro song for that short story. Yeah. No, for real. Thank you. Yep. But yeah, it's just, and that's the thing. You know, you heard a dancey song. You heard a You're happy a pop song. Yep. And now you hear, uh, what if Simon and Garfunkel took DMT with Alice in Chains? Oh, the, the hilarity ensues. But also, I had never in my life recorded harmonies with myself before that song. Really? Yeah. So all so it's first of all it's played live. That's a one take live. So the first track cuz it's recorded on a four track. Like I'm yep. old school as they come. The first track is my vocals and the guitar. Mhm. Second track is that that Sabbath solitude type lead guitar. And then the last two tracks are just me doing the he was found. Like I had to play that song 10 to 15 times to figure out the perfect harmonies for me and a lot of that had to do with Alice in Chains and a lot of those bands that I came up with because they teach you different angles to approach melodies. for anyone who doesn't know how much effort that takes for someone like Rem to do that I know from talking to people who layer their music through Adobe it has a program that just naturally can take your pitch one higher and one lower to create three and I don't do that three and that and so that's it, it takes a lot of the effort and time that Rem puts in out of it yeah thank you for saying that yeah I refuse to use sharpening software that's why Bob will say low file and analog and he's not wrong mm -hmm. but that's the other thing if there's a harmony I'm in my bedroom pinching an ear and figuring out what range to do that and for some reason very rarely for artists will your painting look like it looked in your mind. I feel that way about a lot of my music. Some of them come together just magically. And when I listen to The Pact, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really proud of that song. All right. So are you ready and for And I love twist endings. As we're about to uh, find out with this last song. Trigger warning on this one, yeah. guys. What is this song about? Um, this song is called Another School Shooting. And it's about a school shooting, but you're going to hear the story from a different angle than you're used to. And I'm, and this is the one off the air I talked about, and I've, we talked about what I'm going to talk about that references into it. But first, we're going to get to it. It's called Another School Shooting by Remy Carrero. Little Timmy brought a gun to school. Little Timmy brought a gun to school. Bang, bang. Little Timmy brought a gun to school. 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 Little Timmy ain't nobody's fool. Genesis of all this shit. 
Timmy ain't bad, he was born that way. Talk funny and the kids called him gay. Sad and broken, but nobody's fool. The day little Timmy brought a gun to school. Backpack black across his back, strapped with a shotgun, a 3D printed gat. Had some Xanax, got dead drunk, fed up with the goss, jocks, and punks. Pulled on his ski mask with tears in his eyes. Lonely as fuck, but ready to die. He entered the lobby, ready to do it. But everyone was dead, a teacher beat him to it. Looks like a teacher beat him to it. Looks like a teacher beat him to it. Jimmy ain't bad. He was born that way. Talk kinda funny. And the kids called him gay. Sad and broken, but nobody's fool. The day little Timmy brother gun to school. The day little Timmy brother gun to school. That was the day little Timmy brother gun to school. Looks like a teacher did too. Timmy brought a gun to school. Looks like a teacher did too. Little Timmy's dead. Oh man! I say that so matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So what, I'll what, just say, Rem gives lyrically gives us the M Night Shyamalan treatment at the end. Yeah, thank you, man. Two plot twist songs in a row. Let me ask you and be a hundred percent honest with me. What was your reaction when you first heard that song? Big Black. For anybody who doesn't know what Big Black is, Big Black was a band that was formed and pretty much run by Steve Albini. And see, for anyone who doesn't know, Steve Albini, one of the famous producers in rock history from yeah. the late 80s to the 90s, Icon. 2000s. He's the producer of In Utero by Nirvana. Tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and he was sought after by everybody, and he was very he was very helpful of independent artists. Yeah. But if you were on a major label, minimum 100 grand to use his studio. I believe it. And so, literally, Nirvana had to pitch the idea to him. And he, he said, why should I produce your album? And... Kurt pretty much said something to the effect of, I want to completely tear down everything we did with Nevermind. And he was impressed. He was like, okay, yeah, all right. He did that. Right. And they did. They did a stripped down raw album that, in my opinion, is their best album. Uh, so that's my first take. It's very, so what I mean by that is Big Black was very drum machine driven and very heavy on the industrial sound. Lyrically, it's very similar to, to Big Black. It's very similar to people like Eminem. It's very similar to, it's basically, we got a marginalized person here and they're going to just, they've reached the breaking point and they're going to show you 
what the fuck happens yeah. the reaction to it and then again that plot twist the plot twist they're ready to go through with it completely and when they get to the school a fucking, a fucking teacher. teacher a fucking teacher are decided to beat him to it and and again you need to understand like when i start writing and free associating when i do verses i don't know how they're gonna go i did not have that twist in i just was like i actually initially did this song because I have a comic book I'd worked on for a little while that I didn't actually intend to release. It was just something I was doing called Richie the Unseen. And it was a little kid who, it's exactly that. And the whole idea behind the story of the comic book was going to be like, first three issues were going to be him preparing and explaining why. Because if you listen to the song, unfortunately, the kid gets fucked with. They rarely just do it because they want to do it, you know? Yep. And that was going to be it. The kid was going to get shot. It wasn't going to be pulled off and whatever. But it was going to, I'm not trying to give any terrible people a background or a platform that isn't it especially in terms of some recent shootings that have happened this was nothing to do with that this was written and recorded a long ass time which, ago which which ones rem the the 153 so far this year or like the 300 last year or the like the yeah. sad the sad reality we live in unfortunately. yeah no that's it and so initially i was like i'm gonna write it from the kid and and you know he knows if you listen to it he knows he's fucked up for it he knows he's gonna die but he's trapped he doesn't know what the fuck to do and he doesn't want to be forgotten. So I'm writing it, I'm writing it, I'm writing it. And the kid's going in, in the final verse. And that fucking just happened. That's why on my third vocal, you hear me be like, God damn. Because that's me still reacting like 10 minutes later to coming up with that. And that's where, to me, it's the most like Big Black. Because lyrically, Steve Albini wrote song. He wrote songs about rape from the point of view of the rapist. Like he wrote, yeah. he wrote songs about not arson. in a good way, guys. He, he, well, the thing is, on the surface, people who didn't get past the surface, was yeah. like, oh my god, he's supporting rapists. Yeah. You really have to listen to it to be like he's giving you the psychology of why this person raped somebody. And for example, he wrote a song about arson, an yeah. ar and it was from the point of view of the arsonist. And that was the one I, I played to you before we went on the air. Yeah, it's dope. Where it, it literally, it was just somebody reached their breaking point, and you know what? It happens. Yep, literally, I'm going to burn it down. Ultimately, the song's about a broken system. It's about a broken kid. When you get to that final verse and you find out a teacher shot a bunch of kids, all it does is solidly prove that there was something going on fucked up at that very school system. And that the kid wasn't, I mean, he shouldn't have done it, but that means there might have been some justification why people were doing it. And I, I think the teacher thing is interesting because I'll be honest with you, I've seen some high school videos lately how teachers are getting treated in certain places, and it's fucking barbaric for the amount of money they make. I'm genuinely shocked that not there haven't been examples of teachers coming in and doing shit. Just snapping. He fucking walks in with guns and all the kids are already dead and fucking teachers there. In my head, and my roommate asked me this, she's like, so the teacher's there at the end, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, so what happens? And I'm like, well, the kid shoots the teacher and shoots himself. That's why the whole song is click, click, bang, bang. And that's him potentially the students being shot. And the last two are just click, bang, click, bang. So in a way, he, in a sick, fucked up, twisted way, he becomes a hero yes. and a martyr. Yeah, and so there's a whole story there, too, because then after he blows his brains out, they're like, wait, why did he have a gun? You talked about how it was 25, there's 25,000 times someone's listened to that, right? Yeah, that shocks me. Yeah, so Rem, Rem just literally, he's he's literally like that infomercial guy. He sets it and forgets it. <laughs> yeah, no, because I haven't been on it in a minute, honestly, you know, just yeah. had a lot going on. He comes back on, he's like, holy fuck stick, 25,000 times someone's listened to this song. And, and that's a song that I, I'm proud of. I'm proud of it. It's structurally, it's a sound I really, really like. It's like you said, almost 90s industrial, late 90s industrial. It's like ministry and Eminem, I guess, in a way. But 
Yeah, and I don't call myself a rapper. I'm definitely not the best rapper in the world, but I think I can structurally put together a song. And I think one thing about two of those songs, The Pact and Another School Shooting, is more songs need to have twist endings. I think that's fun. I think a journey in a song is a lot of fun. And I know it's, it's a hard song. It's a very dark, dark song, and I understand that. There is nothing wrong with us shining lights into the darkest corners because then at least we can discuss this shit. Well, there's nothing wrong with showing every side of the coin. Mm -hmm. If you're going to talk about the happy sides, you should talk about the sad sides and the dark sides too. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. And so if we tie it into the theme of the show here, where we give Remy really kudos here is Remy literally did, did the DIY approach. He's doing this all himself, analog. What analog means is literally he's doing it piece by piece. He's not relying on Adobe yeah. to make to pick up pick up parts of it for you to speed up the process it's on a memory card i do it on my floor there is no mastering bob as a matter of fact is mastering them today on this thing and they sound amazing but yeah yeah my shit's raw and i've never put anything through a tuner or a vocal tuner so it is analog and i think that to me that's always when people say they make music that's what i'll always picture it's cool that people do fruity loops and do shit on computers cool cool it's not for me i need to hold a guitar or a bass you know and for me, I told Bob on the ride here, if I wasn't able to do that, I would have shot myself 10 times. It's very right. cathartic for you. It's yeah. very therapeutic. 100%. And at the same time, so we've hit a lot of bases here. We've talked about self-care. We've talked about DIY music writing. We've talked about using technology in ways that I think that we should have collectively as a group, but we, we're kind of lacking there collectively. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I hope this is your inspiration out there to people to create your own art. And I want to say right now, full permissions. Anybody who likes these songs, fucking rip them, listen to them. Full permissions, you have the right. Just like, obviously, you don't have the rights to use anything for licensing. Don't put any of my songs in a commercial without giving me a couple bucks. But anybody who wants to fuck around or enjoys those, please feel free. You can find me on SoundCloud, Remy Carrero. But I think that you could probably find it with R-E-M-Y. I'm assuming I there aren't too many of me. You could also find it by going through the uh, Zenial Odyssey podcast SoundCloud. Because we're awesome. on SoundCloud now. Yeah, but And we're also linked to Remy Carreros. Yeah.